Episode 30, Friday, November 24th, 2023. You guys have all seen Twin Peaks. You've seen all three seasons, the movie, the documentaries. You've got uh, Kyle MacLachlan posters on your wall, just like me. So we don't need to go into any sort of backstory bullshit. You're up to speed. You know the character of James, James Hurley. Um, and you have in, episode, in season three, Deputy Andy and Lucy, we find out have a son named Wally who has, he just, you know, he returns and one of the most bizarre and uh, hilarious scenes is when this kid comes back to sort of pay his respects to Sheriff Truman and they stand out in the parking lot and have this uh, (laughs) Robert Forrester god damn it's good it's really funny There doesn't really seem to be any suggestion that, um, like the true, because this weird kid, Wally, if you'll recall 25 years ago, you know, Lucy gets pregnant and we don't know if it is, uh, the heel Dick Treme or Deputy Andy. I've never heard anybody suggest that it's James Hurley's kid. Um, There's really no reason other than the similarities with the leather jacket and this, you know, the other, his, his penchant to sort of embody this. If you recall the way that James behaves, his character, right, in the first two seasons... Not so much in the movie. He's very overtly a character from a soap opera, which was, again, the idea, one of the ideas floating around in this creation of this whole thing. It's always desperate teenage angst and um, the like. I think that Wally, the kid who shows up in season three, is not James's true son. He's definitely his spiritual son. So I would say he's, I want to 
uh, he appears to function. Um, as some sort of generational instantiation of this character, okay? Now, if you have seen Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me, the movie, you may recall the whole movie is kind of more from Laura Palmer's point of view. We get all sorts of little tidbits that are not... It's the same timeline, but we see much more of Laura Palmer's experience, her experience with the, uh, the sickness of her household, some of the particular like metaphysical, just say, you know, supernatural overt supernatural mechanisms between the the object of the red room the fact and Bob the demon and how this character relates to our world the rest of the world <clears throat> so one of these pieces that is it's um, it's pretty incredible really um, you recall the night that Laura Palmer is you know meets her fate James Hurley picks her up two doors down they go on you know James on his Harley they go out to 21 and Sparkwood or wherever out in the, the forest where the darkness lurks. And as they pull away, Leland Palmer, who of course is actually Bob. Bob is much more the agent. Looks out the window and you see him, he's pissed. So we know that he's going after them, which he does. All this is, you have to piece all this together, of course, in the, as we follow Dale Cooper unraveling the mystery. Laura and James go out, have this conversation, they get in a fight, they get back on the bike. She has this little meltdown moment where she jumps off of the bike and says, you know, leave me, I'm, I'm, I'm fucked. And James, she runs off into the forest and James carries on. She wanders into the forest. And in the movie we see, you know, she, she's done this on purpose. That was the spot just through those woods, maybe down the road a little bit, was where she was meant to meet Jacques Renault, or not Jacques, yeah, Jacques. And uh, the other girl, not Teresa Banks, but um, she's got an Italian name or something. 
and Leo, right? Shelly's weirdo fucking boyfriend. And then they go up to the cabin, and Leland has followed him there. And they're getting fucked up. Leland goes in. Or it's, it's Bob, definitely, at this point. Um, beats the shit out of Jock and the other girl, and then hauls them off to the train car where this uh, fucking half-ritual Garmambosia sucking sacrifice culminative uh, like peak climactic thing goes down alright we'll rewind back to the part where James and Laura are in the forest having this moment there's a lot you know in reviewing this there's a lot uh being communicated in this two, three, five minute scene. <clears throat> I'm going to try and lay it out for you as quick as I can. Anyway, what I, what I noticed. Consider again the, the full overview of the, the narrative, right, again. Uh, 1946, Trinity site test, Judy and Bob come through, or Judy's always there, and Bob is, uh, you know, her extension into this world or something. But you've split the atom, you've torn the fabric of reality, and this uh, particular seed of evil has been deposited in. And uh, is it clear, you know, this little locust, half-frog fucking parasite uh, crawls into that little girl's mouth? And that is who? I forget exactly. I don't know that... that it's ever, I think it is alluded to somewhere, but somehow, you know, this character, this thing, um, as we're told, makes its way up to Twin Peaks, and young boy Leland at his summer cottage. You know, the, the demon enters him at that point. What the fuck that it fully means, I don't really want to know. But you know and I know. Alright, so... When... If you we look real quick, I'm not going to be able to do this a whole lot. That is like fact-checking shit. James Dean, 1931 to 1955. He dies very young. Let's check out uh, early career. Er, yeah. So 1952, he's getting his first work done. East of Eden. 
as you know in the cultural story that we have the big one is that everything was pretty much you know normal conservative well put together this is not true at all but this is what um, what do you what would the academics call it um, the development of, like the the steps into postmodernism or something like this Based on what? Based on the Trinity site? Or based on some shit that these fucking effetes you know, saw at the theater and then wrote about? And meanwhile, the rest of the world is like doing fucking iron work and um, kicking the shit out of each other in Teamster brawls and uh, just generally scrapping it out. I don't know. <laughs> Which is... Which is more um, true. So it's pretty clear, right, that James Hurley, this character, is somehow the embodiment he's meant to represent in the meta, meta, meta sense. I mean, you have, you know, David Lynch. He's just a guy. He's, he's a filmmaker. He's working in film. So he's going to lift up these pieces, but he's also commenting on film, meta, meta. Then you have the creation of it. You have you in the seat watching it. You have you 25 years later thinking about you watching it and revisiting it. Man, I mean, that's why I keep coming back to this because what Lynch accomplished through, I think, um, personal power. I don't, you know, sure... Showtime executives want to make a ton of money and they did the the polling or whatever. Does that explain how he knocked it so fucking far out of the park? Does that explain why um, it still worked in this way? I think, you know, yeah. In, in, in part it does because with all the algorithms, with all the stuff, you can see them playing off of generational uh, moments. They had the... The people who push products on you, the, the whole, so step out one, one step again. Half of our problem is, is just simply accepting that what you're fighting, like where, you're, where your fury and frustration are directed is always just at a nothing. There's nothing there. There is no advertising industry. They're just merely individuals. You know that, oh, well, no shit, Andy. I know, but due to conditioning, programming, and the actual setup that, that the, the previous conditioning programming established, you're sitting there alienated with um, totally divorced from your powers of violence, um, sex, and everything else in general, other than hopefully in your home, which is, that's the best we got. And most people, probably 8 out of 10 or 7 out of 10, don't even have those. Uh, that's, that's where you're conditioned to go. Well, I'm just going to basically, what's that old line from uh, Modest Mouse? Cowboy, Ga Cowboy Dan's a major player in the cowboy scene. He goes to the desert, drinks, and gets mean. 
blah, 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 fires his rifle at the sky and says, God, if I have to die, well, you will have to die. Not bad for some trailer trash from fucking rural Washington. Not bad. It's early modest smells for you. All right, trying to stay, you know, so we got, you got a real, a real uh, multi-layered, not, you're not, I, I wouldn't even, I, th- I wouldn't, I don't believe, the right, that you could spreadsheet this, organize it in any way. That, again, I think is part of the explanation why the season three worked. Worked, like, uh, on the level of fucking E.T. or Back to the Future. It's just simply not repeatable. Why not? If you could make this shit repeatable, oh, dude, they, they, they're into it. But they can't. As Milch said, they want, if, if in any way can we reduce your creation to its some fundamental constituents and repeat that uh, infinitely. That's what we want to do. The, the, the guy himself, the artist himself, David Lynch, Mark Frost, Kyle McLaughlin. We can replace all of this shit with fucking uh, processes, AI, what have you, and... Um, but what is that operative thing? Well, you can't, you can't ever get to it. I don't think AI can get to it for, for reasons of participation and what I think suggests to these lunatics that it could be is they do understand, you know, and people understand this in general, you understand it, that the anticipatory aspect of you, which is, and me, and everything, uh, or everyone, let's say, it, uh, remember the character Uma Thurman plays with the giant fucking thumb from the uh, Tom Robbins book, Cowgirls get the blues. Even cowgirls get the blues. Made into a really kind of crappy movie. Kind of not a great book either. But anyway, Pinocchio is another one. You have this outsized appendage, body part. That's what the anticipatory function it's got to be a function it's inbuilt to you and me and to everything and it's been perverted this is the point of perversion okay does that matter to you do you have kids do you want to fucking know this shit or do you just want to sit around and buy guns and uh tell bullshit tell lies on twitter you know let let everyone else do it imagine that uh you know your legacy will be preserved somewhere in some way or it won't or it's just all about you. You know, this is really just, this is your dream, right? This is your dream. So when it ends, as in the game, you recall the game, great, um, 
Michael Douglas, Sean Penn, Fincher, I think. At the end, you're going to wake up and all your friends will be there. It'll be a big party, right? That's what this really is. Well, I don't know. Could be. Probably not. That's if we're co-creating this, I'm going to hope that it's a little bit more, more than that personally. But that's where most of us are locked in. And the way that it was locked in, the, the method here was not the video drum. Okay, you didn't just make the video drum and all the retards walked up. Wow, I'm just going to, I'm so stupid. I'm just going to stare at the bright lights. That's kind of a narrative that does, you know, it, it, it's, it's, um, a partial explanation. It's um, mostly it. Well, it's not totally, but in the conspiracy culture, it's uh, taken as fact, but also taken to understand. Yeah, well, we have the spectacle. We have certain material, but also historical. You know, currents happening here. Um, yeah, but. You also have so when I speak of when I, what I'm talking about with the anticipatory function is what Castaneda was speaking of. We just brought this up not too long ago. He has this moment where he remembers how he was in childhood. That he had this love of birds and he developed it over months if not years and he had this inborn preternatural okay a patience that was untainted it was just it's idealized even in castaneda's books uh, even in the the meta character of carlitos within the book he is acknowledging that there is an ideal state that was given and it, Castaneda seems to be intuitive enough to understand that somehow this relates to hunting. He literally talks about sitting in the fucking forest watching hunting birds. He's not going to kill them. He's just... I, I've never quite understood the bird watching thing. I like birds. They're neat. I've come recently to really appreciate the kingfisher. I think I mentioned this because I never fucking saw a kingfisher before. And then I saw one, I think, earlier this year, and I was like, Jesus, what a cool little bird. Kind of squat and stout with this massive head and this beak. Not a very big bird. Easily overlooked. I mentioned as well, I mean, I there's like golden eagles, peregrine falcons, a couple different kinds of owls, turkeys, cardinal, all sorts of little tiny tweety birds, shit tons of crows, of course, heron, uh, bald eagle, red-tailed hawk, and, you know, oh, um, I don't know what they call them out here. They're buzzards, you know, of some sort. Plenty of those. Yeah, probably the coolest thing about, about experiencing these places has been the birds, um, the diversity of birds.
Oh, ducks, geese. I mean, shit. They're all fucking here. But of, all, of them all, I really, I really appreciate the kingfisher. That funny little guy. Okay. So let's go back to James and Laura. They're in the forest. And this, this interaction is kind of famous because you, and you have some, you almost wonder, does Lynch, you know, how much does Lynch know? Well, or how does he get there? Because this repeats uh, many, multiple times. The scene itself is replayed from a couple different points of view in the television series. You, you have Dale Cooper, you know, interrogating James about this and you have that moment being analyzed from a couple different character points of view no one ever talks about it it's not a big deal it doesn't show up in any of the um, quite a quite a bit of like uh, you know fan culture whatever these people call it there are conventions and all sorts of shit about Twin Peaks I don't think that Laura embodies, you know, something like you could imagine Marilyn Monroe or some other type of cultural iconic figure that's, you know, so she's standing in as the, the Lynchian retelling or interpretation, which may be a more accurate read. I, I mean, shit, I'll just say it without even having analyzed this idea before. It is a more accurate cultural read in general. It's sort of like Elroy's read. And there again, you have some, uh, some, a very, they've, both of these characters are characters, creators, are fixated on this idea that you have as a surface and um, it's good. And then you have the proverbial iceberg underneath it, which is not necessarily good. And both of them are not only gifted, but um, gifted with uh, like, they're unencumbered. They have the gift of freedom in terms of just, let's just extrapolate this. This little sense that I have that there's, you know, the ear laying in the grass. That's all there is unless in this case, Kyle MacLachlan's character in um, Blue Velvet, if he doesn't, he could even take the ear into the police department and turn it over and walk away, but that's not enough. And there you go. This is illustrative of an obvious point, right? Well, if you don't have any curiosity, you're never going to have any idea what the world is like and you're never going to do anything about it. Therefore, everything's just going to continue and Satan rides again, right, for all practical purposes. Fuck it. Doing our part here on the War Horse ultimately to um, participate in the great unveiling, I suppose. The War Horse is really a novel, and I'm a narrator. And what I'm about is... I'm not about history, I'm not even really about truth. I'm about mastery. 
that may seem stupid to you. I don't care, obviously. The reason I care is because this, this idea that reality is religious has seized me and convinced me that has long ago. Uh, it was like the reverse hook. You know, we think that we're fishing from above and maybe something else is fishing us from below. And now I'm below the surface. I have been for a long time. <clears throat> You'll recall, I, I hope, two episodes ago, way back in the first 50 pages of, of this novel, that I found this book, or I found this guy, Robert S.D. Rope, that none of you had ever heard of. Not one of you. Don't even lie. Don't even... Lying about what you were act, you know, how early you were. Okay, I get this one. I fucking win. No, I did not find um, Primus, Jane's Addiction, the Pixies. I did see those motherfuckers probably before you did. But I didn't, you know, I didn't find anything first. I've never been this, this guy. But I did find this guy. This one case. The Master Game. I think I even uh, posted photos of my copy that I stole from the University of Oregon library. I just had to liberate that shit. Sorry. Criminal purpose. Essential. Essential reading. Really, you can just refer back that picture somewhere. I probably didn't really emphasize it enough, but there's a little graph. Once again, details the various games. You have the art game, you have the master game, you have the piggy, you know, in the trough game. You have the domestic game. There's a couple of maybe other ones that I'm forgetting. My understanding is that the master game is referring to this idea that's emerging now that there's going to be a science of religion. And so there's going to be a war. And the war, it, this is going to be where, you know, like if there's, if there's the, the G-Watt and James Bond is involved, yeah, some badass dudes are going to be out in the desert chopping heads off and killing all that sorts of cool shit. But then there's going to be James Bond who's actually um, going to defuse the, the nuke or find the silverware that translates into a ticket that translates into some other thing so that the queen can be saved, etc., right? The true tip of the spear will be, I imagine, my sense of it, if anything, um, played out in, I don't, you know, okay, so here we go, narrative again, this is a good way to do it. You're told right now that Microsoft versus shitter so good guy right versus bad guy these are the ones who are going to be vying for the ultimate course of where ai goes and it all your your whole lineage all those motherfuckers who toiled and died at 26 so that you and i could fucking be here right now this all boils down ultimately to just one soft fat fucking fuck versus you know, maybe a slightly less soft, um, indulgent, 
oligarchical sort of figure. Well, I mean, that's how history rolled out, right? Is it? Fucking A, you tell me. Really? Is it? You're, no, dude. It would seem to me that all of this adherence to, well, this is the facts. This is how things were in uh, the South, you know, just comes to mind. All of this little, there, there's whole subcultures um, spinning around about retelling. And, you know, it's ultimately kind of I'm not right wing. I'm kind of left wing. I'm really devoted to truth. Like, man, you guys are all just playing off the same be generous and say like 150 couple hundred texts and opinions and then just spinning off your little micro fractals off of that you weren't fucking there dude i don't i don't believe that because the criticism here may be oh this is just your plebeian sort of desire to read into something uh but no, it's it's really the, the great man theory and, you know, the zodiacal carrier wave theory is subservient ultimately to individual agents moving through. Nah, I don't know. I don't think so, man. Okay, which nice, brings us nicely right back into the fold. So what is the character of James? What is... Laura, why are they constructed this way? If you watch the movie, it's pretty clear. You got, um, you know, some Mary imagery. You've got in in the movie, you have something's happening with an angel. Okay, the angel photo is removed from the wall and replaced with a portal, a passage into what is, it's the Dark Lodge, you know. Uh, there's a little confusion here, I think, among most people, whether is the red room, the red room is, is clearly some sort of waiting room, an ante room, before the actual Black Lodge or White Lodge. Why is this? Well, the giant is, is shown. He comes and the arm, um, Bob, you know, both demonic, um, what do we call them now? NHI, non-human intelligence, and humans can hang out here together in this space. Why is the space so compelling? Why would, if the space is so compelling, how do you then shift gears, have your coffee, and wake up tomorrow and argue with me about... Um, The antebellum fucking influence on, you know, plantation, mercantile fucking art. Love of God. Okay, so now you think this is just madness, but now here again, I'm just juxtaposing for you in the way of the novelist. Trust me. To the meta narrative, we have approached the whole thing from an oblique angle. Not necessarily one that I understand, but it's just the one that I have. 
thus my humble offering to you in the form of the Warhorse fucking project. Okay, this is probably going to, so this is like an encore set, I guess. We're into 36 and I can't really stop now. All right. So for the most part, you know, um, this is an insert. If you've read James Elroy, if you've read, you know, plenty of, uh, what are they called? Epistolary sorts of novels. You have these inserts. They themselves are somewhat suspect. You're still in the reality of the book. You know this. Sometimes that document can be real, right? right? I could take a real page out of the JFK file, stuff it into my novel, and uh, all of a sudden you'd say, wow, what is Andy playing with here? I don't know. Interesting. Let's keep going. I can make up my own file from the JF, you know, my own fictional one. Do you even know the difference? Does it even fucking matter? That's a much more interesting question to me, anyway. So let's call this an insert, this encore here. And I am, I'm no longer your unreliable narrator. This is really me, Andrew Edwards, speaking to you. It's because I'm so thankful on this day, Black Friday. All right, James, does anybody notice? You have to do a little study here, not a whole lot, but if you'll recall in the television series, we learned that James, you know, where's his parents? He's cruising around on his fucking motorcycle. Uh, his uncle is Ed, who owns Ed's gas farm, James Hurley, is cruising around, skipping school, doesn't want to do cocaine with Laura, but is in love with Laura, or wants to love Laura. Later on, of course, he gets very confused, and it's kind of standard high school with the Donna character. And... But um, he's a handsome guy. He's He's... pitted in some way against the jock archetype, Bobby, the other guy, Mike. and But he isn't in the... Um, in the underworld, necessarily. He's in some sort of alternate position. But he, he can't... Well, I don't know if that's quite helpful for you. Let's say, in the framework that we've borrowed into the Warhorse, he is outside of block time. And Laura is kind of the locus of whatever forces are utilizing the illusion of block time against as a sort of veil or disguise, camouflage overlaid on top of a much bigger story. Garmambosia, Louche, the devil. I'm talking about God, the devil, order, harmony. We do this joke at least once every two months. 
We learned that James has a mom who was some sort of crappy alcoholic poet and maybe whore, even hoard herself out. She would, he was like, remember there's uh, James and Donna are in this gazebo and he's saying, my mom used to go with these men. It's almost as if, you know, you know he's, he's ashamed. Jump over here to... Now we have Laura in the movie, and she is definitely getting wasted. And she's actually whoring herself out at the Bang Bang Bar, right? She has some sort of deal worked out where she nods to Jacques, who is later, uh, later uh, murdered, of course, by Leland for his crimes. Was that Bob actually though, like, you know, sewing us some loose ends in the in the alter universe? I would guess. Side note that that whole Renault angle didn't get developed the way that it was probably going to be developed. I think that the older brother and the crossing of the border again. You will recall an episode ago. Ah, this allusion to a border. Here we have another great story located on a border region and dealing not just with the physical Canadian-U.S. border, not just with the interagency squabbles of the FBI and the uh, Canadian Mounties, but the border between nature and supernature that is no border at all. So what are we really talking about? I guess we're talking about illusions. I guess we're talking about fantasies and dreams. And I guess that there's, there are a bunch of forces on this planet that are mostly unconsciously hell-bent for whatever reason on perpetuating the, a certain view of things. Back to James. James, this is a this is some beautiful shit that I didn't quite notice before. In this moment in the forest, James is like is you can miss it, but you know, this is James at his most. This is James at the closest to fire to getting and he does. He gets burned, right? And when we come back in season three, he's kind of fucked up. Nothing really manifested in his life. Uh, no big deal, but I mean, he's he's working kind of an odd, weird job and sort of out of it. Remember that guy kicks his ass when he's like, <laughs> he doesn't seem to quite understand. Like, uh, you may like that girl now, but that girl's with this other dude and this dude doesn't like it. So it's kind of uncomfortable scene. So I would submit to you that this is not just mere accident. This is some unappreciated artistic genius sure maybe there is a critic out there where the fuck is he you know to comment some on some aspect of this masterwork besides well uh episode eight was uh, fucking incredible i know <laughs> the whole thing was incredible man over 25 years or 30 whatever this thing was held together James is some sort of figure. He isn't quite the, like, I can fix her guy. That's 
little more common. He is driven by some deep sort of real, like a, um, not your, self-centered um, and false deployment of, of trauma, right? For somebody called me fat, now I'm traumatized. No, this is, can you imagine growing up, cleaning up your mother's puke? You're fucking four. Think of the scene just before where Laura's out getting shithoused with Bobby doing a bunch of blow uh, and Bobby smokes that dude. They get the big bag of cocaine and there's Bobby like throwing these little piles. Oh, we got to bury him. And she, Laura is laughing her ass out, totally fucking with him. But that, that had a lot of like uncomfortable realism. Like people will, people will do that. They will fucking just melt on you side note how does um, that never come up you know it never it's real I, I can I believe that in the, in the story Bobby actually shot this guy I guess it just never came to light and he became a cop and I like it though you know, it shows, uh, it adds more depth to the character arc, if you will, if that is a thing of Bobby. And he has, isn't it interesting that he has such a, a substantial kind of operative mechanical role to play in Dale Cooper's Cooper Cooper, the Cooper 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 return. Yeah. So you get you get what I'm saying here. The character uh, is standing at the edge of something. Spark wood, spark wood, the fire. We're told in this that you know, in the movie, there's a moment where Donna. I really like the character, the actress who plays Donna. I wish that she had played in the rest of the series as opposed to um, Laura Flynn Boyle, who is, as I as I mentioned to my wife, it, she's just a little bit too, like, she, I think that in real life she could ac- occupy the mythical realm, or not mythical, the, the dark aspect of the Lynchian universe. It's a little bit too much. If you check out picture, pictures of how she turned out, you know, in real life, you'll see what I mean. There's more going on there than more dark shit going on there than, than I want. And I just don't particularly like her, you know, style. So they have this conversation and some reason Donna asks I think what would happen in space if you fell in space would you just keep increasing in speed or do you reach a kind of point of floating kind of a good question and Laura as if she's you know Laura is this fragmented she she represents the, like 
all spaces. Okay, remember the Upanishad idea of there's the three points. She's all of these at once. That's what she is. The only one that's actually closed off, and that's the one that's ultimately revealed to emplace her into all is when she realizes her past. You know, who's really doing this to her? The trauma, the veil of that trauma, the overvoltage finally finds its course into a circuit. I would submit to you that this is the condition that most of you and all of we are in now. The overvoltage has not yet found a circuit, a reliable circuit, such that it can course and course and course and course and it will configure into reality. That's where you're at. How do you think you get out of that? I don't know. Go listen to the, the previous 60 fucking episodes. That's what I believe. All right. So here's that character in Laura standing in the woods right before the fire. Oh, I didn't finish the thought. I apologize. I get a little excited here. You know, you can feel the, the one hour climax approaching. She, Laura says essentially that uh, you would just keep going as in speed would increase until you burst into flame and not even the angels would be there to help you. This is important, right? Because again, the picture of the angel is taken off of the wall and the portal is in place. The angel can we presume, therefore, that the angel is occupying some sort of, yeah, guardian-like role? This may be a, a too much for you, for any of you to handle just yet. There's more to it. The imagery later, where later in the movie, when she does finally get into the waiting room. Dale Cooper, again, another character totally outside of time. How many, how many, where have you heard anybody call this out? There's three fucking Coopers. There are three points in the Upanishad. Uh, you, re, you have to go back to two episodes ago. But essentially, you know, um, there's the dream, the liver, the, the, the liver. <laughs> there's the pancreas, the lung. No, there's the... Um, Let's see if I can find it. I have the book in front of me, but I don't. Oh yeah, I have it right here. Nice. The spirit of man has two dwellings, this world and the world beyond. There is also a third dwelling place, the land of sleep and dreams. Resting in this borderland, the spirit of man can behold his dwelling in this world and in the other world afar. And wandering in this borderland, he beholds behind him the sorrows of this world, and in front of him he sees the joys of, the, of beyond. Okay, that's what's happening at the end of the movie of Twin Peaks, which is essential to the entire viewing and understanding, which I would argue is itself in our reality if you will the reality where there's a podcast called the war horse that you're a guy who watched twin peaks in 2016 17 yeah 17 and now here you are you know these years later and it is just oh, it's just a thing that happened well 
Is Trump going to get in? Who gives a fuck? Which matters more? That the spirit of man has two dwellings? This world and the world beyond? There's also a third dwelling, the land of sleep and dreams. And resting in this borderland, the spirit of man can behold his dwelling in this world and in the other world afar. And wandering in this borderland, he beholds behind him the sorrows of this world. And in front of him, he sees the joys of the beyond. No, no, I'm really concerned about uh, deep frying turkeys and um, the price of corn. There's your narrative. There's your pattern. That's how you were killed. That's how you were beaten. That's how you were owned. And true courage, constancy, would be in the resistance to that. That's my message to you. That's the message of true mastery. You can do anything along the way. You can pick up any act of power to prosecute that fucking individual guerrilla war. Okay, we'll wrap this up in seven minutes here. You have the character, essentially, James. His fucking name is James, okay? It's James fucking Dean. At a particular moment, this character emerges into the history. The silly history of reality, the incredibly interesting history of this creation, Twin Peaks. And you have a guy who, by his own the facts of his trauma, his mold, he is given, he is powerless to resist the pull of this more, this, you know, um, light, this being of light and darkness, who herself is about to immolate fire, walk with me. She's and she's hours away from that moment when he meets her there. And his drive, the way that he has been molded, forces him by all of the circumstances of life and the story and himself, his parents, his absent parents, Ed, every other fucking thing, the price of gas probably for his Harley, to be there at that place for her. I think that's why he's saved. You know, I think that's why, because his story at the end is somewhat redemptive, I would say. He plays, like Bobby, he has a role to play. A crucial role. So we were saying again, Dale Cooper, as you see, when the totality of this thing starts to kind of situate over time, at the end of the movie, He's got his hand on Laura's shoulder in a protective, sort of loving um, manner. And she is experiencing her own immolation. She is in this borderland place where she is observing both the afar and the sorrows of her fucking life. The veil removed the anguish of which is so extreme that, and you know that 
the whatever the power of uh, the logic of power itself maybe you know finally configures in such a way that it's nasty right her fucking father has raped her for most of her young life and now she's or now he is in the form <laughs> he's got a fucking demon uh he both he loves her there's it's another odd thing in that movie is there's this moment where even after she realizes partway through the movie that god damn it's my dad leland uh, seems to have this moment where he has bob has retreated from him and he takes and he tells her i love you and she sees it you can tell in her eyes that she's battling with the she herself is coming to realize Okay, so there's two characters within this uh, being. There's two. There's two. Does she know it's a demon? Well, I, she doesn't say it's a demon, but she's wrestling with that. Her own elaborated trauma. The that's the overvoltage. Okay, that's where the ironic distance between you and God fucking diminishes so if you cannot get in there and do that stuff dude you're not james you don't i'm not james hopefully you're something more hopefully you're not in someone else's story but so what am i saying go watch the movie man tell me if i'm wrong i'm not wrong and no one else has figured this out. So, as Mystery Gross says, give me five bucks. No, you already gave me five bucks, or you wouldn't be listening to this. And so, I'll try and close this up by saying that's what is happening there. There is this certain instantiate, certain, the three, okay, the three Coopers. One of them is there. Does one of them always persist there? That I don't know. But she, he is standing over her shoulder with her as she processes through this whole, this culminative moment in her experience of the totality of being, okay? It's not that the one is more real than the other. As this happens, her angel, having been removed from the photo on the wall, is brought in as well. And there's, there's a lot going on right there. So I, there, there is a Mary-like quality, you know, to the character of, of Laura. There is a sacrificial quality, as there is with Dale Cooper. And there's also um, a, a subtle, like a very subtle um, suggestion that in these two characters going about uh, their true what do I say you know going about lax agency it's it's like embracing the call or something like that in doing so they redeem each other they redeem the world I will return All right.
So this episode is the first in a series called The Twelve Days of Warhorse. I'll drop one episode every two days until the 24th of December. They're going to be a real mixed bag. <clears throat> to uh, I can't even begin to... I just have to take the ride myself. I'll do my absolute best. Some of it will be <clears throat> rather Bologna-esque. Some of it will be topical. We'll just have to see. But uh, you know about the 251? You can pull out and uh, kind of carve a space within any chord progression. And going, you can do others, but the two five one, the two minor, back to the five, which leads you, of course, to the one. It's going to be a little something like that. That may be, uh, if you heard it, even if you don't know music theory, you'd know. Uh, be like, yeah, I love that shit. It's a fucking great groove. Okay. Mm. Not all of these episodes. I don't, I just, dude, two bordering on three jobs, two kids, one incoming Christmas. It's cold. I got a lot of other stuff, but I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. Um, this is one of the benefits of being constitutionally antisocial to the point that you you don't even need to justify it anymore. That's decades ago. We're well beyond that. For the remainder of this episode. This question lingers lingers and lingers I must have been thinking about this for oh seven or eight years maybe mm, to just go to the heart of it the, the crazy idea what if um, in the way that toxoplasmosis you're aware of this. This is like the cat parasite that gets in your head. and uh, Hundreds of millions of people have this parasite. There's no treatment. You're just kind of stuck with it. It makes you a little bit antisocial, actually. I, am, I wasn't raised with cats, so I don't think that I have this. But um, they're distrusting. And there are a couple of other little personality quirks that evidently emerge from this. Maybe, maybe not. I don't really know. I've not met anyone who knew that they had it. It's kind of more of a third world thing. Maybe, maybe big cities and stuff. There's tons of these types of different parasites in the animal world 
the horsetail worm. This is a nasty. You ever get crickets coming into your house and then they wind up in the toilet? Why, why did they... They infiltrated this house and they used their senses to find whatever, the dog bowl, the dog dish of water, you know, the toilet bowl, water, somewhere. And then they kill themselves by drowning, essentially, in the nasty eight-inch long, looks like a the hair from a horse's mane, but a little bit thicker. Emerges, whips around, and then it too just sort of dies in the toilet bowl. It's fucking crazy and absurd and stupid. Things like this are very creepy, you know. Uh, but the issue here is um, the unavoidable fact. Not only are you covered in a colony of bacteria that can that can somehow communicate, it's moving, it's organizing and operating in concert with itself. It's not like one individual, you know. Bacteria don't work like that. You've got it in your skin, your eyelids. You've got it internally in your lungs and you all throughout your whole gut in your mouth. And every single person around you does. Every single person. You have this, uh, or we do, right? We all share this idea that you have a subconscious, subconscious mind. And we're just, you know, we're just going to go with that. All of the geniuses in our society of whatever societies of whatever field are going to present this as such. Well, this is how we've always done it. Okay. We have no connection to prior generations and we don't do any work to allow for that ignorance. But fuck it. We like it. Here we go. What if these bacterial colonies and themselves are like uh, diverse communities or something, right? They're not all the same bacteria. They're having their little relationships, waging their battles and logistical movements, what have you. We have no idea. Never, most people, even myself, you, you're aware of this. Not for one minute do you think about this during the day. At least I usually don't. Unless I ask myself, I, I try to zoom out. And I, I start, you remember like, well, 
if you were, say, to drink fucking turpentine, as some retards on the internet suggest, or you were to bathe in gasoline for a while or something and just scour absolutely every bit of this bacteria off of your skin or your guts, you would die immediately. And some, some commenters go so far as to say that 40% or some large percent percentage of what you consider yourself is not yourself at all. It's unseen, unidentifiable kind of not quite parasitical, but kind of not, you know, is it really symbiotic? How would we how would we conclude that? Well, we're still living. Let's keep going, buddy. Have a drink. You want a hot dog? How the fuck do you know that? You don't have, you know, any reference point. Nah, I know. But we're just, we, we just got to get this thing going, buddy. Life is short. Well, from the, the overview, consider this idea of non-human intelligence. Far superior. So vastly superior to you and I and our collected powers, spiritual, intellectual, physical, otherwise, imagination even. That's probably our only, that's our best hope, of course. But you can't even see this. You can't intuit it. You have, we, have, we do, okay? Like, yeah, we have all these intuitions of it. We have, but we also shit on it. And it means absolutely, at this point, nothing. It makes no dent at all. There is virtually zero effort to realign our society, our values, you know, corral these motherfuckers into something like an effective, true morality. No, not, just, dude, not a whiff of it. You have dudes like me and yourself, perhaps, just doing our goddamnedest to stay sane on a daily basis. This is the point. And so clearly there is um, a massive collective effort to go the other way. It's not just that these intuitions um, are not prioritized. It's that you're, that you're gaslit every day and every minute of your life by everyone around you, every organization, um, every custom, etiquette itself. This is all built in to gaslight you against the idea that, well, there's, I have a sense that there may be something more here. You know, right. well, that's nice. Do you want to watch a TV show? Are you hungry? Got to go. Time for work. So I take with some, um, no small interest, 
this move towards uh, an engagement with non-human intelligence in some type of I, I'm sure it'll be a clusterfuck how it what it what it really is dude you don't know shut the fuck up neither do I here's the thing though nature is constructed in some fractalized manner as above so below says the whiny online geek alchemist right and you do have um this condition this kind of a sticky problem where we do we you know, imagine if we could, instead of arguing about whether or not the jab was really uh, designed to kill everybody, not a slow kill. No, it was really trying. They and they really thought it would work, and all of this. It's not. It's man. It's it's just embarrassingly retarded in every possible way. You know. A true evil genius would actually at least give you the respect of um, a worthy adversary. You don't even get that. Anyway, imagine if we put all that fucking energy towards a calm, methodical, healthy, collective approach to the unknown in general. That was just a thing we do. Hey, man. You can get together, hang around this tree, maybe eat some mushrooms, and maybe not, you know, maybe those guys will eat the mushrooms. Maybe we're going to dip ourselves in some cold water, then get in the sauna and get uh, hammered and sing about funny stories. Then uh, crash out and go hunt some reindeer tomorrow or whatever the fuck we do. And along the way, you know, the more geeky among us, I don't know, we'll just sort of collect and analyze with love and care and honesty and without the pressures of survival. Did you know that you can do some quick calculations and see that the cost of bread since 1970 has gone up uh, 50x? So, you know, it's about 10 bucks. And it was something like a quarter. This was only five years before I was born. The average salary was something like 8,500 or 8,000, right around there. So if that were to have gone up by 50X, the average fucking salary would be $400,000. So to have an American standard of living, as you can as you can conceive of it, as we all do, I mean, you know, it is tough to get your mind around to the place where it's really fucking hard to lower your expectations, to listen seriously to some guy like John Michael Greer or some fucking hobbit hippie in Portland, you know extorting you to for your own benefit by the way he's not trying to manipulate you he's simply saying dude you you may be happier if you realigned your expectations with reality I, I'm, 
That's just a suggestion. Have a nice day. $400,000 is now, sure, I'm not, I'm not a fuck. I don't care to be an economist, but I'm clued in enough to suggest, well, were, were that the case, you know, we would not have super cheap products. So you may pay instead of, and these, these super cheap products, this thing, if you watch, if you've paid attention for maybe the past 15 years, yeah, it was at a point where, oh my God, this is, this is, 90% less than what I have to pay for the American product. I simply cannot avoid it. And it's, yeah, it's going to break, but I can get nine of them and I'm good. Dude, that little ratio game there has changed quite a bit. So if we're going to do an example with some cleaning product or whatever the fuck else, um, yeah, you know, maybe you're, you're going to pay double or a little bit more or whatever. If you were to, uh, do, do you know anybody who makes $400,000? I, I think I know a couple of people. And honestly, they don't live like fucking, I, I guess suppose they could, you know, if they, if they wanted to not have children. The ones I'm thinking of have children and, you know, these sorts of things. But... I can imagine a world pretty easily where all of this is just basically possible. Uh, the, the numbers work out just fine. You have free time. You have high quality products, services, what have you, that you don't need to agonize over every single teeny tiny little fucking purchase. All right, so consider that. That's not completely unrelated to the main thrust here. We're going back to the main thrust. You get the fractal idea, right? Some massive percentage of you is fucking bacteria, dude. It's not you. You exist as some contingency upon bacteria. Your life is dependent. If you were to strip all of that shit away, you're, go you're gone. There's no replacing that with carbohydrates or some other fucking molecule. Well, I'll just stuff a bunch of that. No, dude, that, that ain't apparently how it works. So now jump up the chain of abstraction. The obvious question to me is, so are we functioning as some type of bacteria, you know, not bacteria necessarily, but some are we constitutive to some greater body that we cannot even see? Bacteria cannot see you. Bacteria apparently cannot even fathom you as you fathom you. So does this greater body even recognize us is it and what would i don't think i don't think the analogy you know we got to we got to be a, use our brains a little bit here right it's back to the old wall there must be an old uh, man in the sky like let's take a quick side note here too you know the line sturgill simpson i like sturgill simpson i really do and i think that he's one of the few kind of um true blue musician types out there that said 
it really doesn't take a lot. There's that one line, okay? Um, Reptile aliens made of light cut you open and pull out all your pain. That's a fucking killer line. That line made his whole career. Have I done this thing before? Maybe I have, but I record so much and then I dump it, I forget what all is out there. I'll make the point. We'll get back to the main thread here, if possible. His other good song, uh, I won't be, I won't be round, I won't be how's it go? For a long, long time, when I hit the road, start looking for the end of that long white line, dude. That's a mashup of White Line Fever and White Freight Liner, right? I did do this bit, I swear, but I, I can't remember. Anyway, um. That actually is not related to the main thread at all. But maybe it sort of is. What I'm suggesting to you is that as this... non-human intelligence story rolls forward... Man... Check out Diana Pasolka. Check out some of the podcasts. And I I do think Supernature is a pretty good way to just get into it. That book. That's maybe your best bet. They do a fine job of kind of adding a little bit of distance and um, popular reader level introduction to the whole thing. You don't have to spend two years reading obscure Whitley Strieber trash, which some of it is trash. And some of it's great. Anyway, you have rolled out before you, um, rolling out now. The conditions for uncertaintism, the likes of which we probably have not seen maybe since biblical times. Um, and unfortunately, you know, sticking your, stick your heels in the mud or whatever, that's just going to get you in the same position that the boomers got my generation in. You're going to wake up one day and some technology, be that physical, be that spiritual, be that, um, let's say intellectual, mental, psychic, that's going to just roll the fuck over you like a river. And you're just going to stand there like that old ass man. Well, I guess I, I, I guess I'd have to hazard my saw or whatever. You're fucked. It's over, man. So sticking your feet in the mud and ignoring it and saying, well, I know the answer and it's this. No, you don't. You don't know. Dude, taking the ride is your only hope. Hanging on, building a tiny little life raft as, uh, you know, the preppers say. On, on every level, and it's got to be mobile. So, forget about your doomstead. Do you have one? Great. I encourage you to. Do you have an exit plan? Do you have a second doomstead? Okay. Do you have a Do you have a psychic doomstead? Is it mobile? Are we make do Do we get the point? 
for my own sanity and um, hold on this thing. I'm not saying that that's the narrative that will unfold, but it's an obvious one that could be rolled out with very little friction. And, you know, why why is there no friction? Well, because it's already kind of established through analogy into religion. It's established through experiment into science. And, you know, philosophy doesn't make any difference at this point anyway. So it, it would be incredibly useful for many good you know, good purposes. And it could be incredibly useful for something like the, what do you, what, what's the, um, it's the verb for like to make a cast. It's not to cast eyes. So we'll just say for the reformation of um, your Morlock Eloy sort of two-tier maybe three tier, but it definitely like uh, 95% shits. Three to four, probably 4% protector service class. And you know, not even really 1%, um, but some fraction of 1%, a few thousand people. This narrative, removing the, the primacy of our species in some, in, into some greater whole, if the thing is completely unseen, now, again, is that, what else does that? All types of cults and religions do that. You haven't seen a fucking angel. You haven't seen a fucking, well, actually, I have. You know, No, you haven't, dude. We've seen something. Yeah, you've seen something. And now you're right back into the fold. See, do you see the problem? You're, we are all in this problem. And, in, and I think that even those with designs, um, you know, getting out ahead of this, and they, they have, these types of people have th themselves, they're a form of parasite. You know, they're just simply not constructed the way we are. They don't give a shit. They're primed and directed towards something else. But you can spin this narrative over and over and over into itself. Well, they have a different type of bacteriological makeup, and they themselves are thus a different analogical, if you will, you know, bacterial constitutive part to this greater, like, demiurge sort of figure that we must presume exists. It itself is the hyperobject. NHI, non-human intelligence. All of the groundwork is laid for Man, I mean, the, the only hope is, in my opinion, that's all that's all I can really provide you, is um, 
something like a super austere scouring of your psyche. I mean, fucking austere, okay? I don't mean popping some mushrooms and going down to the park to hacky sack with your buds. I mean, just tipping the fuck off and uh, that's it. I mean, there we have that type, you know. What is that type? Does that that type? I'm sorry, but this character is not, you know, genealogical or race based. This type of person who would do, who would even begin to conceptualize, much less take on something like the quote warrior's way man <clears throat> but you say stuff like that and you're going to be gaslit left right and center so that's the type of character okay i know i'm going to be gaslit i know i but so i'm not even going to fucking care i'm going to have to isolate and contain that as its own contagion well holy shit all of a sudden this does start to look like I'm operating in some type of a, a vat, you know, with non-thinking units on the surface of something, like a, quote, hyper-object again. And I'm seeking, I'm getting my ass handed to me on a daily basis. I have messages, you know, elect, electrical impulses come through various sundry means and methods Ah, like rumor. I hear of other other folks like me. I must I must travel towards them in some manner. But the great masses, the yeast-like masses that are everywhere and clogging up these arteries of travel and communication. How the fuck do I manage that? There's so many of them. I know. It's almost as if you're either not quite sociopathic enough or but you have to consider like is that what they want you to think closing thought here ah it seems to me that it's always seemed to me but this could just be you know deep uh norwegian blood memory that there's way too much building and way too many people and that absolute wild nature itself truly wild like if you go out here um you stand a substantial there's a substantial likelihood of you're not coming back if you go far enough it has always seemed to me that fencing this fucking thing in has been the stupidest possible shit that could ever, you could ever fucking do. And that all the narratives of human hubris, blah, 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 are 100% accurate. And I, I, I have to say that the same people who, the retards who align themselves with the Schofield Bible and the Rothschild created state of Israel as all this sort of stuff these are the same motherfuckers that will tell you that you know you have dominion over God's earth the 
why the fuck would you, you fat, ignorant retard? Why would you be granted anything? Because the same book, or you know, a similar book, the it's even in the Schofield Bible, is going to tell you um, there's a little bit more to it, bud. You know, you don't just show up and you're not a king, okay? Dealt with that shit in some other chapters. You have a price to pay, and so does your woman. Are you paying that price? No. No, you're not. Anyway, series of side notes upon side notes. The 12 Days of War Horse. Coming at you hard. Carrying you into the Christmas season. It's going to be interesting. I hope you're doing well. I I may, you know, it's, it's, it is the Christmas season. So I may consider giving away all of the 12 Days of Christmas. 12 Days of War Horse Christmas. 12 Days of War? Six Days of Horse Christmas. Horse shit. We'll see. I may give away every other episode. Or none of them. I have not decided. So, as uh, my buddy said, uh, till next time, walk 40 miles and find your way to some Mexican cuisine. Authentic.